Welcome to a brand new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. We are joined by two very, very special guests, Jacques Favreau and Michael Paulson, to speak with us about addressing performance in engineering. Jacques and Michael, you want to give us a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is. Oh, man. Okay. So my name is Jacques Favreau, and I'm on the WebCore team uh, here at Netflix. And we do sort of the cross-cutting concerns for our uh, website teams, uh, things like shared libraries, uh, best practices, but also um, performance, both runtime, but also uh, developer performance. Uh, my favorite happy hour drink is probably a really boring old-fashioned. That's mine too, though, so All I right, guess I'm fair. boring. <laughs> we'll be boring together. I only recently discovered an old-fashioned, so it's actually kind of new to the scene for me. New old-fashioned. It's the new which fashion. Is, which is kind of weird for the name. Uh, my name's Michael Paulson. I also work at Netflix, which makes this podcast convenient. And I work on television UI where I only focus on performance, but not with engineers. It's it's real fun. I'm from Montana. Things I like are Montana. Uh, cold weather. And I don't like dogs, even though I own a lot of dogs. But I do like dogs. It's weird. It's a weird, it's a weird relationship. You always think you like dogs, and then you own a dog, and you go, oh, I like the idea of dogs. I don't like dogs. You must. Sounds like you want a cat. <laughs> but sounds, that's what it sounds like you want. But I like the idea of cats, which worries me that I might actually just like cats. You may be a cat I person. I might be a cat person. And then what's your favorite happy hour beverage? Oh, my favorite happy hour beverage. I do like most beers, but I've been liking wine lately. A good Pinot Noir. I like Pinot Noir. It's a, a good, sophisticated. Good, yeah. All right. Sophisticated person. I can't help it. All right. Let's also go around and give introduction to the panelists, which really it's Gemini, Gem. Gem Young, senior software engineer at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the podcast, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Measuring. Measuring. So if we say the word Measure, measuring, we'll all take a drink. What about measurement? Uh, we'll, we'll include that. All right. What all about right. metrics? It's kind of like a form of measurement. No, that one doesn't count, okay. Michael. I'm I don't even know. That's a you know, terrible that's, idea. That's just measurements <laughs> on paper. Yeah, I'm sorry that you have bad ideas. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get started. I, I'm interested to even just start this episode off is what does performance in engineering mean to each of you? Well, performance in engineering means this, is that you don't have to invent the wheel every single time you wish to solve any problem. There's been thought and tools created around and processes that have been optimized to make you successful in any task you're attempting to do. Now, some of us have to go and try to think ahead and make those tools, and some of us get the benefit of using those tools. I hope more often that I have the benefit of using them and using you know, whatever has been set up as the soup de jour this day of what is popular that there's enough infrastructure around it that I or anyone can be successful at a reasonable pace within our job, that I do not have to go read doc after doc just to use something simple. Uh, okay, so for performance engineering, for me, I, I think uh, I kind of approach it from finding sort of what matters to you as the engineer for that project or for that team or for that company, uh, and then focusing on making that as uh, sort of optimal an experience as, as possible uh, for performance within engineering itself. And that might be, uh, yeah, using well-known tools that uh, you don't have to do a lot of extra ramp up to or uh, making decisions that 
sort of lower the amount of weight that you're carrying as you as you go forward as a as an engineering team. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with both of those. I would say largely it's um, allowing engineers to be as efficient as possible in their job. Sometimes that is getting rid of process. Sometimes that's actually adding in process so that they don't commit mistakes, uh, like Michael was saying, like mistakes that are common and build tooling around things like that. But it's mostly like if you hired smart people, let them be smart. If they're great artists or they're great designers or great uh, mathematicians or something, like you get out of their way and let them do that and creating this environment that makes them as efficient as possible in doing that. So I think you brought up a good point, Jim, and I'm going to ask you on this is what's good process and bad process? Because I think like you said, removing process, but also adding in good process. How do you define good and bad process or how do you know when it's good and bad process? I'll come back to the process thing later, but one thing that uh, I've seen and it's like a good example of like you have rules in place to prevent people from shooting themselves in the foot or making mistakes that we've seen over and over and over and over again. Uh, for instance, a lot of people don't know this, but you used to be able to force push to any branch you want. As in like you couldn't disable force pushing. So I'm talking about Git. Git is a version control system for those who don't know. And uh, what you used to be able to do was force push, which means like I'm going to take my branch and completely override the next branch. And that was a problem because sometimes you do need to force push. Sometimes someone rebase, something like that. But, uh, and this is something I'm guilty of before, <laughs> is you can force push master, which is of course the main branch that everybody pulls off of, which means you blow away every single, everybody else's changes with your changes. Um, so having a process in place or like some sort of system or mechanism of control to prevent that from like shooting yourself in the foot, that's good process. Yeah, I think that's actually well defined. It's like really, I think you also hit on the fact that setting things in place that we've learned from like, hey, we keep making this mistake. Let's prevent that from happening. That makes a lot of sense. But was anyone actually pushing to master forcefully? I, dash dash no verify i can i can answer this yes okay <laughs> i mean i've to seen me, it happen because like, i've like, done it to me that I, seems like a lapse in judgment not, that process needs not, on, not to fix not like. on purpose I, oh, was the, oh so was it old git when you mix just in, git push and it push all the good things yeah so you could like the git push where it went over everything or yeah. somebody thinks they're on okay. a different branch and they push and it's master and they they get it up so having i think uh we locked it down from our side on on GitHub to to block force pushing to a number of uh, branches was a was a I think a good process basically in the sense that like we still have I mean if we really needed to we could I think good process is also a process that you can go around if you have a really good reason to do so I mean if we really needed to force push master for some reason and we were going to take the hit of having everybody all the engineers have to deal with it. We could do it. It's not that we completely, like, you know, turned it off entirely. We could, but we choose to have this sort of guardrail in, in place so that this class of problem that we had before isn't isn't one. And it's not in an onerous fashion. Um, I think that's another good piece of process is that it's, uh, it pays off more than the uh, not having that process costs. Is that process or is that safety, like guardrails? I mean, arguably, yeah, I guess it that to me is like a guardrail process might be is like, how how do you deploy and like where do you create a branch for a new feature that could be a best practice. So maybe that also helps avoid like just pushing directly to master. Well, so for, for process, one of the things that we did was we made everything off of pull requests. 
So we um, actually our master branch can't be modified except by tooling in a general sense. We have a uh, develop branch that we make feature branches off of and then uh, merge those back into our into our develop. And that's where all of the work happens in that process. That is more there are more steps to that instead of just committing directly to all of your commit stack into master. Um, but we gain a lot more visibility as to what's happening. Everything gets squashed down. We get a clean history that we can work with. And so we're we're paying those extra steps, but we get some significant benefit. So, and process is, it's many things, but process could be also, um, say for instance, you come to me 3am, I don't know, I would be hanging out at 3am, but you're just like, Jim, I got this great idea. It's going to revolutionize everything. And I'll be like, cool, write up a doc, you know, I'll share with Ryan, my manager, and he'll share with the team, then we'll discuss it. Then I'll share with Reed Hastings, the CEO, and like, we'll see if he approves. And like, that's process that that is something that's completely unnecessary. But sometimes process is necessary. Um, deployments are a good example of like, when you need process, it's like, why do I need to wait for the build and the test and all these things? I can just hit this button and deploy out to millions of users all around the world. And like, I don't see a beef with that because I'm new at Netflix versus you've been here five years, right? Yeah. Yeah. You'd be like, well, no, um, I don't trust <laughs> I've you. I've seen some shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've seen things go wrong and we have this long process. Like the build takes an hour or something because of all these checks and things we have to do. And it seems foolish, but process is there to like keep you from hurting yourself because more experienced engineers or people who have seen some things know that this is good process. It's, there to prevent yourself from making mistakes but also I think, screwing up your uh, user base too yeah, exactly and i think on the topic of engineering performance uh a lot of the i mean every every place no matter what even if you're process averse has process so being consistently sort of aware or vigilant that you're taking on process or like of the processes that you have can really assist in sort of increasing that engineering performance over time that you don't build up cruft of well we just we do it this way because we've always done it this way you know that you that you're actively sort of assessing the process that you have and where you could uh you know if those risks don't exist anymore reduce it or change it or modify it um that that kind of helps keep things tuned up instead of just building up a long list of processes that everything must go through you should always be questioning, is this the right process? <laughs> yeah. Can we change something? Can we make this easier? Is this efficient for us? Uh, I think that's super important. I think of it as like it's an iterative process. It's not something that's like set in stone. Things change. Technology changes daily, uh, especially in the front end world. I feel like there's always some new cool tool and like documentation goes out of date, like nothing's set in stone. And so I think you have to be very flexible and really thoughtful around that process. And but and to your point, like process is good sometimes, but like you need to challenge it. You need to have like this engineering uh, culture where you can challenge the process regularly and like hire people, bring them in and they say like, hey, why do you do these things? Like, why is there 20 steps to like commit, commit something like and they should have the freedom to challenge that. And if you can't defend that, say like, here's why in every step of these process, here's the reason why we have it then it's a bad process. And if like that, that's like my simple bar is like good process is you can explain every single step and every single reason why you do things or, oh, I did it because the guy before me had this long process and that person had it. And in the end, no one really knows why we have 50 steps. 
um, to do something, but like it's just the way it is. That that is bad process. That's bad culture, and that is not engineering performance. So to bring it all the way back after that long rambling speech, yeah, because we talked about all the good. Now we talked you're all the good to the uh, bad. A good good engineering performance culture is the ability to challenge things and not get just like shut down because like it's my first day. Like that that's terrible culture, and that's like anti engineering performance. Isn't that just good culture in general? It's the ability for one to be able to say what they think is correct Absolutely. regardless of yeah. organization. Yeah. yeah. I think you should always be able to question or give an opinion. There's tactful ways to do it, right? Like I think there's maybe that's a piece of process that there could be someone you go to an extreme, like there's a proper way of doing it, right? But I do honestly think that a good culture fosters opinions and thoughts and challenging ideas. I would say like some of the largest jumps that we've had forward uh, on the website in terms of the either the technologies we use or how we go about things, especially in our like build systems, have been because of questions or challenges from recent hires. We're like, hey, what? Why does this take so long? Or what is this actually doing? And uh, you know, there could be a better way of doing this, and that kind of kicks off that that conversation, and that's spurred a lot of sort of innovation on our side i often encourage engineers when they first join our team to say like yeah if you see something that you feel is weird question it ask like why aren't you doing this and i'm like often someone just we might have thought of yeah we should do that but no one's really championed it and if it's a pain point for you raise it don't don't say that this is the norm because we will change it if it becomes valuable if we're getting more performance out of it why not Performance in engineering is like a lot to do with productivity. How do you help yourself as an engineer be more productive, but also your team? Like, what are ways that you can influence a team to be more productive? I found one of the weirdest things to be more productive. One weird trick, would you say? It just, it just a, a mom in Utah figured out this one weird trick. <laughs> Number four uh, will shock you. <laughs> Uh, gosh, Michael Paulson advice. I think there's also one about ch child actors. Like you wouldn't believe where this child <laughs> actor is today. Uh, okay, so the the thing that I find actually really helpful is writing the smallest little bit of bash script or something like that that just takes out something that you do regularly. Just something that's so small, and then you share it. Like one thing I always had to do is. I wanted now plus 30 seconds so I could put it in one of our tools so one of our items could expire when I refresh the page and I had to do some debugging around that. We always have some sort of time-oriented, hey, I need to just have a little bit into the future. And so now I built a little like script and share with the team where you just like press a key on your keyboard and you have 30 plus seconds in on your clipboard of time plus now. And so, or, yeah, or now plus 30 seconds. It's like one of those little things that you spend so much time just context switching, doing all this just stuff just to get 30 seconds. <laughs> I also love too, is it wouldn't have been a hard bash script to it's write so either. Simple. Like that was probably very easy for you to do. But now over time, you're actually, so you maybe invested a little bit of yeah. time up front, but it's actually a larger investment. I also like that you've shared it with the team because it might have helped you individually, but you're like, no, 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 I should share this out and like allow others on the team to do it. I mean, I love writing bash scripts and like <laughs> anything in the terminal. I'm like, oh, yeah, this will just make my life a little bit easier. Taking some steps out of my day. I'm all for it. And then you ha you end up with this weird switch statement. You're like, all right, I think I've gone too far in bash. <laughs> oh, yeah, that has definitely happened many times. 
I think also finding, I mean, to that kind of point, like finding the things that you do a lot and trying to optimize those. If it's add 30 seconds to, to now or, you know, anything else that you're that you're doing um, a tremendous amount. And that can be both in like tasks that you do, but also in uh, tasks that you run, like in the thing, in the tooling that you have or in the um, even in the processes that you go through like what of those things that you're that you're hitting a lot i mean you you can have some time sinks where it's you know i do it once a day and it takes an hour and that's terrible and i wish it took less than that but if you have something else that you do a dozen times a day and it's an extra couple of minutes and you can get that down to a you know a minute or half a minute you're looking at this like similar savings over that giant painful thing uh so trying to find if you're trying to optimize for time or speed or something like that uh, for your for your day, trying to find those those places that you're actually wasting that time, even if they're in small increments. If you do it enough, that's a large chunk of your of your time. Can you measure it? Cheers. Cheers. That feels a little forced. <laughs> it totally was. <laughs> All right. So so hard question, and this this is something. This is a problem that has never been solved. MP hard, if you will. Uh, um, you can solve NP hard problems. Darn it. What's the unsolvable complete. one? NP complete. Well, it just means it's non-polynomial. You can you can solve it. It's just I forgot you're actually really smart. Not not, <laughs> no, not in this universe. You'll NP complete. Yeah. Uh, how do you how do you measure engineering productivity? Cheers. Oh man, I didn't see that one coming. Not forced. I think that's actually hard. I think it's a hard problem. It more in the sense because it's human beings it's like there probably are ways that we could like over time look at reduced meetings or time spent or whatever that is but i think it's actually a little bit harder than measuring the performance cheers in our code i think that's a lot easier all right so i uh, a few months ago i gave a, a talk where i i hear at netflix actually and i was sort of overarching view of it was that one of the major paths to performance or the things that get in our way is when we don't have um, sort of a, an aligned set of values. And this is specific to measuring, cheers, cheers. Uh, measuring performance is that uh, if, you, if you don't know what you care about or if you don't have a full list of what you care about, it's really hard to understand whether or not you're doing well so if you actually aligning those values across a a team or an organization or even a company so that you're all working from the same uh, sort of foundation up is like a key and probably primary uh, step and after that you can get on to the sort of more tangible part of finding goals that sort of map those values into something that you can uh measure cheers and, uh, <laughs> i'm gonna do a You're double bad there. At this game. <laughs> i am I, you know it, it it's kind of rough because a third of that talk literally was about that word so uh you can I'm just use quantify if we need a little break yeah, exactly. <laughs> there so, we go. Uh, and then the third part would be uh you know the, once you have those those goals that actually take those those values into something that you that you can quantify to actually continuously uh quantify it thanks mike <laughs> um so uh so that you're that you're watching it over time because things do change and i think you talked to this before a little bit in technology 
but also in what we have available to us or the decisions that we made six months or a year ago may not still continue to be the right decisions for us. And if we have all those three things sort of in line, the values, goals, and quantification, <laughs> uh, then uh, then, you, then you get a much uh, more accurate picture and you can actually get down to measuring performance or what you care cheers, about. Cheers, cheers. I'm oh, just going to go <laughs> for oh, it. Oh, I didn't see that. I didn't <laughs> yeah. see that one coming. Yeah. I, I can't stand it. Um, then you can actually I'm, get down to understanding, uh, to understanding how you're approaching performance and how it's changing over time. And if you're, if you're sort of uh, getting further away or closer to what you, what you ultimately want out of it. So you're saying uh, engineering productivity is relative to the goals and values of a particular company. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that can be, you can have variations across, not, I mean, not company to company even, but team to team. Uh, and so, you know, what makes sense or what is the most important for the web team may not be the most important thing for the TV team here at Netflix, right? And that that's totally fine, whether, I mean, assuming that that still serves the values that they're providing uh, or servicing for the for the company. Yeah, I, I, I really like that because it, it opens up the kind of the freedom for engineering. One of the bigger mistakes I've seen of... Uh, non-technical people uh who like tend to be in charge so c-level something like that is they measure performance by butts and seats so it's like if i have 200 engineers in a seat working from nine to six my company's flying if i had 400 i'd be twice as productive and like yeah <laughs> we all everybody out there listening is laughing because like we know that's not true it being in an office or being in a seat isn't necessarily making me more productive I could be staring at a wall, like working through a hard problem. It looks like I'm doing nothing, but like really I'm like working out these complex problems and then I'm like, oh, it's actually this. And in that case, like I spent an hour doing nothing, but I'm actually solving this really complex problem. So I'm actually more productive. So like, I, I like, I always want to throw this out at least like once or twice a year that like people being in a seat or sheer lines of code does not equal productivity. They're not the same thing. Yeah, we need to, like, all companies need to drop the ass and seat model. It just is, a, it's such an easy trap because it looks like productivity. Looks, I mean, know, it, like, that's tangible. Walk, it's like, yeah, we had that right? person there for that like, whole day. It's so easy to say, like, and, and I mean, I don't, I think it's rather hard to escape it, right? Like, you're to, to get past that, that, like, if somebody's in a chair, they, that really looks like how work looks. That right? looks like and productivity. That <laughs> looks like productivity, and it and it and productivity may take on a different uh, a different form, and that that could be or perhaps should be okay. So here's the problem that I, the only problem I have with that statement is that's not ubiquitously true because you said uh I agree that I agree uh, that. that all companies should drop that. I mean in in a in a sense that it just really depends on the type of position. If I was answering, a that's phone, fair. That's fair. If my ass is not in the seat, then. You're not the answering. Phone's the phone. not being answered. Well, there's like a, there's a, we have mobile devices you can, now. Uh, yeah, but I, you can, I, there's, I there's, there's a certain set of things yeah, where you, like you. someone needs to be physically yeah, there to yeah. do something, and so that's, that's fair. In fairness, I think for a cre a position of creating, there is not a requirement of placement. Like creation takes place where the person's at, not where they need or where some perceived need to be is right that was well sorry for getting way no, too that was actually no, well no, no, but no, no. it's exactly right. and i think the, the the trap of it is that there is a whole set of jobs that really do need 
to have somebody sitting at that desk to be done. And so that for those jobs, and that might be a large portion of them, that is what productivity looks like. And then it doesn't necessarily map over across all jobs, perhaps. And I think engi software engineering is one of those uh, where, I mean, I do a great amount of work at my desk. I also have done a tremendous amount of work elsewhere. I think another thing, too, is can we quantify or should companies quantify the productivity by the number lines of code written or commits should companies be looking at that this i i bring it up i mean obviously i don't agree with it but like companies do that that is a practice that I, happens i know which company you're talking about there there are many but uh no so in this case like the fallacy of doing that is treating engineering like uh a pure science as in like input in output goes out it's a factory like we're we're hitting switches like it's a science which it is to some degree but the other part is it's also an art and like that'd be like quantifying like hey salvador dali you've only produced 10 paintings this week and we think you can do 30 like it doesn't work like that and uh, so i think like trying to quantify that by lines of code or commits or things like that is it's like completely wrong it, it, it doesn't make sense so like any creative profession like apply that to them and if it doesn't if it doesn't hold up, then it doesn't make sense. I think where you're going with that is that the reason why lines of code simply do not work is not every line of code is equivalent in value. And so that is why lines of code do not work. Now, maybe commits, maybe squashed commits, maybe there's something to that that is more like directly related to how much value is coming through somebody. I mean, you could game the system still nonetheless. But there's probably something over a population, if you were to measure it, that you could say, hey, this is like a fast-moving company. This is a slower-moving company because commits take way longer. They're stuck in kind of bureaucracy as opposed to good process. That's a slower one. This is a faster one. Maybe they hurt themselves more, so they're actually slower overall. Like, there's there's something probably there. There's a there there that is hard to measure. But I can see why lines of code is stupid because there's the value. There's no There's no underlying currency that's stable, if you will. Yeah, it's almost should go the other way. Is like, how many lines of code did you remove? Yeah. Well done, sir. That is very good. Yeah, I, I would argue the better engineer, the best engineers write the least amount of code because like that's where bugs come from. The more code you write, the more bugs there are. Like that's just a simple fact. Like that's been proven time and time again. So like the best engineer is going to solve the problem in like a few lines of code. But if you're measuring by pure, you're trying to measure productivity by like commits or lines of code, you're like, oh, that bum Michael didn't do anything today. Oh, no, actually, he just saved the company a million dollars in like those three lines of code. But if you measure things in those terms, then like it looks like he didn't do anything. Cheers. Cheers. All right. So I think on the lines of code or commits or uh, sort of measuring productivity by raw numbers, I think is really hard in code specifically because the best code is uh, sort of a communication. It's not only to, I mean, might be to you because you're probably going to have to rework it at some point in the future but also to whoever has to pick it up next and that can either be that it's concise and saying sort of what it's you know it's it's very uh, brief code or it could be really expansive um, but as long as you're actually communicating what's what's going on and, and making it in a way that can be maintained in a long-term sort of situation that at least to me, when I'm looking for through code reviews and stuff like that, that's what I'm going for. And that doesn't really map well into a lines of code or a, 
uh, commits. I mean, you can make a 200,000 line garbage commit <laughs> and, you know, it, it won't, or a whole bunch of little commits that don't, uh, that set the project back. I mean, it, coding has to be built on, I mean, in general, most projects are built on top of the previous version of that project. And so the having to use the pieces that you built last time is a really big thing for us. And that just does not translate into a, into a raw number for lines of code or commits or you know, anything of that sort of a hard nature. So I, I think what one of the primary reasons why lines of code or commits or commits divided by bugs, some sort of like ratio type number is the reason why that is largely a failure is because as an individual, I want to be looked at in a certain light. I want to show that I myself have value. And so if I can see myself not as valuable, say, you know, William over there who's crushing out all the commits and getting none of the bugs, like there's things that I may or may not do. I mean, there's it enters in human vanity might be the right word. It enters like there's things that you can't measure correctly because people will gain Cheers. the system. Oh, dang it. I did that on, on pure accident. <laughs> Which I think we didn't call Jock out in the middle mm-hmm. of his yeah, like, like yeah, two or three there was a there. couple, so we'll take a couple drinks. And so the hard part is, yeah, you're trying to, you're, I think that what it really comes down to is that you're trying to quantify a qualified measurement. That's a good way to yeah. put it. Well said. Yeah. Thank you. My, uh, drop the mic. <laughs> drop the mic, walk away. I actually can drop Done. the mic on this one. <laughs> Please don't, they cost. $100. There's probably people out there saying like, okay, you can't. We agree from these smart people, like we can't measure uh, engineers' productivity. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, hey. Based on lines of code or commits or something like that. So they're thinking, well, I'll just, I'll look at it and I'll try to quantify the value of every single line of code they wrote, which would be like an inhuman task. But like whatever, whatever metrics they use to do that. Um, but everybody in this room cares about writing performant code. And I'll use a quote from Michael Paulson, who like, <laughs> funny enough, like he he's actually very 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 smart, and so I respect <laughs> deeply, even though I give him crap most of the Not time. True. But um, it's one of my favorite quotes about engineering all the time. Um, and he gave us this talk uh, a f- few months ago. But he said, "There's no way to look at code and measure the performance by simply just looking at it. Like it's impossible. You can't say like, oh, I see this this code here, and it's really really slow, or it's not performant. Like there's just no way of doing that." So, like in those terms, if you're saying like, "Oh, um, you're a performance engineer, I want to, I want you to write performant code," I can't just look at your code and be like, "He wrote 30 commits and it's really performant." Like, there, there's no way of doing that. So, ultimately, like the long-winded ramble I just went on is engineering performance is about just understanding what's important. Like Jock said, it's about measuring and it's about understanding the goals and the value. But it's also about just overall. Oh, there's a measurement in there. Oh, right? measurement. There's a couple. Yeah. No, it's about overall, like, what do you want to get done? What do you want your engineers to get done? And, like, that's it. Like, it's not magic. There's no formula. There's no AI you can apply to it and be like, Jock is more performant than Ryan. It's just you have to I understand mean, what true, you're trying but, to do. You, know. ah, you have different roles. Again, yeah, like, yeah, who like, knows? Not you completely different I mean, <laughs> at lines of code, Jock has written more lines of code. <laughs> he uses code mods. Thank you, like, code that's, that's cheating. <laughs> I know. That makes a lot of sense. What advice would you give other engineers like wanting to go back with their, to their teams and improve their performance and productivity within their teams? Like what's something that they can take away, maybe even individually? What what are some like 
tips that you could give someone to be more productive? I'll steal this straight from Jock, but understand it. Like ask your manager, ask the people who are in charge, like say, what do you value as, as me as an engineer? What is my goal at the end of the day? And most people say, like, oh, it's to build stuff or make money or get stuff out the door. I'm like, okay, so how do you value that? Is it in terms of creating features? Is it in terms of less bugs? Is it in terms of performance? Like, find out what that is. Understand, like, how that's uh, quantified. And, like, try to do things that kind of ease reduce that friction. Is that too high level? Too, too like, easy? Seems seem solid. No, I think you can come up with some tangible things with that. Ooh. The follow-up. Nice. I'll throw something in there. So, I A, I think there's something... People undervalue this one a lot, and I think it's poor to undervalue it. A, set yourself up so that you spend the least time doing... Tr- attempting to do the thing you're trying to do. And so, I made a lot of changes recently over the last couple of years that have been very painful to do, but are now in full working. So like I use a special type of window tiling manager. So I no longer even think about where my windows are placed. Like things are all placed accordingly. I don't spend this overhead of like, oh, I got a tab through Chrome. Oh, I'm on Mac. So Mac doesn't, you have to do the tick, not the tab. You know, like there's all these things that you have to build up that you have to do. So I have a universal single way in which I manage all my windows. And that's something that doesn't appear to pay off like in the immediate, but I just spend less time thinking about windows than the average person i also learn to type over 100 words a minute just so i don't have to be limited by how fast my hands move like it's just not a thing it's not a part of what i'm trying to do i've even made a completely unique keyboard layout so that i'm absolutely screwed if i use somebody else's keyboard but when i'm using mine it's completely the best possible shortest distance i have to move for my hands which is i know this is taking it pretty far but it's i've removed all the crappy parts of just doing something, which is kind of a weird thing to do, and it's hard to measure how well that's done. But I can now move faster and think about things less and think about the problem more. And then lastly, if I ever run into something that I've ran into once before, and it can be scripted, I always just script it. Like my bash profile is like a thousand lines long. And the reason why is because I've just, like if I need to do, we have a version manager for TVY app that you also need to make sure that if you, are running this app again and you have the same URL, you could get a cached version or you could be caching images or you could. So now I just go PCR, here's your URL. And it gives me all the different command line options, everything that's already been done. So I don't worry about caching. I don't worry about all these things. And I just simply type in the URL. And so it's very, very simplified to avoid all those other things I have to think about. Now I just don't think about anything. I just simply put in a few letters and press go. So it's like, Upfront investment, like uh, that's what I I heard from you it's there is the like you, you put investment. in a little investment in you know setting up your machine the way it needs to be, but in the long run it's going to pay off. Yeah, and some people may not be as motivated to learn Dvorak and customize the symbol layout and all that kind of stuff, and I don't blame you. Uh, that's uh, there's a cost to that that I can never recover, but at the same time there's benefits that I get that other people don't get. Like I'm going to be able to use my hands likely ten years longer than the average person. Because I simply aren't, I'm not going to get the RSI and the other things because my hands move 50% less than the average person. So, I mean, there's there's benefits that I put in that are long-term performance gains. I mean, I I've, I don't know how many of your Vim users 
I, I believe Michael is. <laughs> yep, I am. Um, I've shocking. Definitely shocking. Uh, completely shocking. <laughs> that's one where I feel like I've never got quite over the hump. Like it is an investment. Like when mm-hmm. you think back to your early days on yeah. Vim, Michael, it's like it, it's just something that I could never get over that hump. I think I got to the point where I was like probably just as productive as I was in Sublime, which to me is pretty good because the first little bit is like super super painfully slow but i never got the benefit like i got to that point and never found i got like over the hump i didn't stick with it long enough it's the commitment factor i I lost the commitment i i didn't put in the commitment michael and so i i just didn't get it but i I, that's kind of what made me think of that is like sometimes it is putting that investment knowing that it will pay off later I have yet to figure out how to exit Vim. I just have IT give me a new machine every time it happens. <laughs> you just hold the power button down. Screw I just it. restart I don't the computer every time. If you use one of the new MacBook Pros, you might have some problems too. So <laughs> The exact same thing actually happens to me when I use Nano. It's just like, press control KX JV, why? And you're like, I don't know how to press all those letters at once. I That's impossible. I, I, my hands don't have seven fingers. Like I don't know what it's you like just did the there. default on Ubuntu now. Like, it's I, don't, crazy. I don't know why it's not Vim. All, I can't everywhere. even use it. It's impossible. So I'd say like a warning, um, 90%, 99% of people are not on Michael's level. Like do not over-optimize like your keyboard layout. That's probably not the biggest friction between you yeah. being more performant. Michael's at a level that most of us will never achieve. So like, <laughs> I, I, like I also want people The level's to, so low that it's actually it's hard so to achieve that to, level. <laughs> no, but, but pick the things that optimize what yeah. you're doing and where you are. Yeah. Like that's not, uh, it's not going to be the same for Michael as it is for me or uh, yeah. Ever. He's so what you're trying to tell is like different. you want to measure what you're not good at. Uh, cheers. Cheers. And then solve the largest things that are slowing you down. Yes. And for most people, it's not the keyboard layout. That if you just graduated from coding bootcamp, the keyboard layout is probably not your biggest source of friction Correct. in becoming more performant. So one thing, my day is a little bit different than all of yours. Meetings. Yeah, I'm in a lot of meetings. And I, I think this could apply to engineers because you're obviously in meetings sometimes or you're working on a certain project. I I think something that I've learned over time and I I need to hold myself accountable more to it is um, coming prepared for the day is like oftentimes I will sit down the night before or the morning of to look at my calendar and go like, what am I doing today? And looking at all my meetings and going, what am I contributing to this meeting? And I think oftentimes that is, I've found that I'm more productive because of that. It's just like, 10, 15 minutes just like looking at that and just taking a step back and thinking about it can go a long way. But yeah, it's just like remembering to do that is where I need to hold myself accountable. Not only, uh, not so much even uh, personal advice. I mean, I think that the finding out what's important to you and then optimizing that is, is probably where I go with that. But on on sort of a larger level or a, or a local team level, basically, uh, one of the things that I've found to be really important uh, with regards to performance, and this is true in runtime code, but definitely in sort of developer performance is finding a way to motivate it. A lot of performance is actually in the shifting of the culture around performance. uh, And it's especially true um, within teams and at companies. And one of the biggest tools you can sort of wield in that in that area is uh, a really good motivation behind it. we measured the amount of time that folks were uh, working, were waiting for cheers. Gold. Cheers. I, I stand by that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we, so we, we looked at the amount of time that folks were spending waiting on their 
their build tasks. And it turned out that even though it was in the few seconds here and 20 seconds here, whatever, across the team of 30, 40 people, we were spending, I can't remember what it was. It was north of like... It was a full-time engineer in your talk. Yeah, yeah. So it was, I think by the time we... Yeah, you're right. It was, by the time we'd done the work uh, after this, we were able to carve out like eight hours, some total. So I think we started at 12. So the whole team was waiting for 12 hours a day on our build tasks, and we managed to get that down to four. And being able to bring that uh, that data to people and say, this is why we want to spend this time. Hey, we're spending 12 hours a day waiting for a, a build task. I really want the the runway, and we should to, to work on this. And additionally, we should also continue to keep this top of mind uh, as we as we move forward. That really helped bring around um, a, a bit more of a cultural change in the sense that people can look back at that and say, like, this is why we need performance. And that could be true on local tasks for for yourself. It could also be true on your web project, you know, uh, the, the impact to your users or whatever that is. But finding that motivation and bringing it to your team or your group, whatever it is, uh, really uh, that would be the the thing the thing I'd offer is that like try and find that really crisp crisp motivation that uh, that can help folks see the benefit in performance as opposed to just seeing the upfront costs. I like that too. So you got the investment, and then you've got quantifying it or looking at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I chose the right word. My I I have quick advice, and this is maybe less ephemeral. This is more practical. Let's say no offense to you too, um, but. Like just simply go walk into the office and remember that you spend probably 80, maybe even 90% of your time reading code and understanding other people's code. And like, we forget that. We think we walk in and we code all day, which is absolutely not true. So like bias towards readability, bias towards consistency, add comments to your code because like you have to read it later. Other people have to read it later. And like, just remember that when you're writing code, it's just like, imagine your future self is like really, really angry and has like this barbed wire bat. And the minute they get upset, they're going to come after you from the future. And like, write your code like that. Like, respect your future self, respect your teammates. That to me is like an easy productivity win for any team. It doesn't matter what language you're writing in. Readability and maintainability are the single largest predictors of continued velocity. Ooh. There you go. Wise words from Joe. <laughs> that is solid. Yeah. <laughs> All right. At the end of the, each episode, we'd love to uh, share pics of things that we found interesting and would like to share with our listeners. Uh, let's go around uh, for today's episode and share picks. Jem, you want to start it off? Uh, sure. I have a few picks today. Um, my first pick is actually from the Netflix Tech Talks that uh, three of us did a few months ago. Which keep coming up. In Which this, keep coming yeah. up, but like, it's good to reference them. Uh, the first one is by uh, Jacques, and it's called uh, Measure the Change You Want to See in the World. And he it's a short talk. It's about 16 minutes, and he covers all of the points kind of we talked about today. Um, but it's really funny. So like, it's entertaining. Uh, sometimes, you know, the, the stories are pretty solid about Netflix life and the troubles we have. Um, the next one is by Michael. I totally forgot the name of your, your talk, but you know, it, it's pretty long, but that's where the, uh, his quote about you can't, you can't understand an application performance by simply looking at the code came from, which is like still such a brilliant quote that like more people need to take to heart. It's, between the two of them, there there are solid talks about just kind of engineering performance and real real life performance. My final pick, a little bit uh, sideways, is it's actually a writer for Bloomberg, um, Matt Levine. He writes a lot on um, finance, like primary finance. But 
like the guy's a poet when it, when it comes to writing about finance. I'm just going to read a quick excerpt of like one of my favorite articles by him. Um, he says, the essence of finance is time travel. Saving is about moving resources from the present into the future. Financing is about moving resources from the future back into the present. Stock prices reflect cash flow into an infinite future. Like, I mean, it's just poetry, but it's about some something really boring, but he just like illuminates uh, financial matters like so well. Uh, if you ever see his name on article, it's worth reading. Like, absolutely. Say his name again. Matt Levine, Bloomberg. Michael, what do you have for our listeners? So I came in unprepared for the so-called picks <laughs> topic. Uh, Classic. You know, as my wife always say, says, it sucks to suck. Uh, but uh, let's see. So for, as far as picks go, I'd say that something that I have thoroughly enjoyed as of recent is being on the other side of fatherhood. I know that's kind of a weird thing to pick, but we've all we all grew up with or without a father, but we had a father at some point, like you know, unless if crazy science has recently happened, which I don't think it has, you pretty much have to have a dad at some point. Um and so growing up personally without a present dad and being able to be on the other side, like that's just something that I've been diving more and more into and realizing things that I will never understand from one side, but I can understand from another perspective. And there's just something really awesome about that. So if you have obviously a kid in your life, it's a good choice to invest more time than you think it's worth. Like the time doesn't feel good now, but it does feel good retrospectively. And then the second thing is uh, I really enjoy investing time into live stuff. <laughs> Jim's laughing. But uh, if, you, if you ever, I, I'd say, if, especially since we're this is a large engineering uh, or primarily engineering audience, is that a lot of people don't take the time to sharpen their speaking ability. Not just simply performing in front of a group of people, which is giving a presentation. A presentation you prepare for, you say it over and over again, you make all these slides, whether they're good or bad, doesn't really matter, but you give a performance. You are an actor on stage, and you may be bad, you may be good. That's different than attempting to practice the art of speaking. And so taking the time to have more of those in your life will benefit you long term much more than you realize at the moment. And so talking, like I, I knew someone that every single day they would wait in a parking lot and wait till the next person came and would actually get out of their car at the same time and just speak with that person on the way to class, <laughs> just simply to get better at talking to strangers because they said that the number one fear they had was talking to strangers. And by the end of the semester, they were very comfortable talking to strangers, like finding ways to exercise that live interaction and speaking. And so that's my other pick is investing into the future via- Love it. Via- conversational arts also stalking people in parking lots apparently i yes. think that's called stalking in most yes don't do that don't don't actually <laughs> wait for the same person every day i believe that's called stalking, that's stalking. if it's a repeat person then that's yeah stalking. oh okay. this is just, so random people it's cool serendipity yeah. that's all this yeah. is all right all right jock what do you have for us Jim stole mine oh nice <laughs> <laughs> um what the I, talks yeah i was gonna plug i was gonna then plug just pick talks. his talk um, yeah, he well, didn't actually, plug I was his own. Say, okay, well, I will yeah. plug. I will plug the set of them. We did them as a trio, and uh, it was, I think, actually a pretty good uh, lineup. We had, uh, I think, I went first, then Michael, then Jamin. Uh, the I think the set of them actually speaks a lot. The set of those talks speaks a lot to uh, what we were 
talking about today and goes a little bit more into into depth in some of the more specific cases. So they're they're worth a watch. Uh, 1.5x speed them if you uh, are uh, short on time, but uh, they're they're a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun putting them together and putting it on. And uh, if you're in the area, uh, in the in the Bay Area, definitely uh, check out the Netflix Tech Talks. They're uh, well worth coming down all the way to uh, Los Gatos for, uh, which is a long haul. I get it. Uh, Hold on, one more thing. Uh, My wife still says as one of the funniest lines she ever heard is when Jem gets on and says something about, I forget exactly how he compliments you as being the most eloquent speaker. And then he's like, and Michael's the most funny guy. Well, I guess I'm going to be the good looking guy. It's my cross to bear. And it was, it's still, that just proves that he actually is the funniest guy. <laughs> 100%. And my wife still talks about that one as being the funniest thing she's heard ever. Hey, it was memorable. Yep. All right, I got two picks for our listeners. I have a Netflix original uh, called Bad Blood. I believe it came out last week. Uh, it's about the mob in Montreal, Canada. This is true. I didn't. I didn't actually really well, they know. Do jaywalk or something? What do they do? <laughs> hey, in Canada? you know what? <laughs> Don't recycle. <laughs> this is based off true stories. It is a drama that is like based off some true stories. True jaywalk. Um, I enjoyed it. I, I burned through the episodes very very quickly. Uh, it was a good show. I highly recommend it if you want to learn about the mob in Montreal. There you go. And then I'm actually going to choose a restaurant uh, in San Francisco that actually Jem and I tried last night, which was delicious. It's called Robin Sushi. I think it's actually just called Robin, uh, but it's omakase sushi. It was delicious. Uh, Jem, anything you want to add on that? It's very good, but it's very expensive. Yeah, it was a little pricey, but it was very good. All right. Before we end the episode, I want to thank our guests, Jacques and Michael, for joining us. It was a pleasure having both of you join us. Where can people get in touch with you? Uh, I think the best place for me is probably on Twitter. I'm uh, at beta or bust, uh, like a beta release. And uh, I think that's that's probably reach out there. My DMs are open and I uh, check that relatively frequently. Michael, what do you have? No, for us? man. You know, I, it's so, <laughs> so funny you should ask. I love doing live streaming on Twitch. So if you would like to find me, you can come see me at the Primogen, T-H-E, the Primogen, P-R-I-M-E-A-G-E-N. Twitch TV slash the Primogen. If you have that Amazon Blue Crown subscription, you better give it to me, baby. <laughs> All right, Jem, where can people get in touch with you? Uh, I am on Twitter at Jem Young. Uh, you can also send me a message at Jem at Netflix.com. I am really terrible at responding to emails, but I will video chat with you. I have no problem with that. I'm just a really slow typer, so I'm not like Michael in 100 words a minute or whatever. Fair enough. And I'm on Twitter as well, at Burgess D. Ryan. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. Make sure to subscribe to Front and Happy Hour Podcasts on whatever you choose to listen to your podcasts on. And you can actually follow us on Twitter at FrontendHH. Any last words? Fortnite sucks. Mm. Shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. No, we fine.